Welcome to the Great Base Tennis Podcast. This is your co-host Andy Fitzell alongside Steve Smith. Today is episode 32. We're talking all about Peter Burwash and PBI, Peter Burwash International. Peter Burwash is one of our pillars. We've got a few more to go through, the pillars of the, the Great Base. We say we've got eight main pillars. Yeah, we've covered five. Or this will be the fifth. We covered Jim Verdick, Welby Van Horn, Bill Jacobson, Jim Lair. Yeah. You know, Peter, Peter Burwash International. So that leaves Harry Hopman, Dennis Vandermeer, Vic Braden. Mm-hmm. You learn from so many people over the years, but yeah. Um, when I ran this program for tennis teachers starting 1981, that's what we've basically done is assembled information, ideas, and insights. Um, and all these leaders are very much connected to the, the program. That was the first of its type. Um, tennis tech. Tennis tech. We'll make that a podcast. Yeah. You know, number 32. Wow. 20 more and we'll be through the first year. And with getting through the first year, I think people have a very good idea of the history behind the great base. Yeah. But, you know, a game we play, it's one thing about getting up in years is have, kids can say one thing on a rainy day and in the gym and I say, okay, say one thing and I'll tell you a story. 32, Jim Brown, Cleveland Browns. Mm. The number he wore in college at Syracuse University is a different story. But he was known as one of the toughest guys. And back in the 70s, he said he'd like to get in the ring with Muhammad Ali, the champ. And by chance, he did. Jim Brown walked into a hotel and Ali, he didn't know that Ali was there, like boxers did in the day. And they set up the hotel lobby and he was training. So Jim Brown jumped right in the ring and he found out within just a maybe 10 seconds <laughs> that he couldn't, couldn't, couldn't stick the champ. <laughs> I, one time, uh, a young, young guy, his father asked me to help him out. We were the same age. Anyway, um, he's a golden glove boxer. He had a lousy, lousy record, but I remember telling him I'd take him on and he sat in a swivel chair and the same thing I found out in about 10 seconds. I thought, I, I mean, it was the guys in a chair. I go, I, I got this. And then like, high ground. and I, Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> but Peter Burwash, yeah, let's get going. Uh, your background with Peter, like so many of the um, coaches I've worked with, I would say is indirect. Like, so you have so you have such a direct connection to Vic Braid and having spent so many years with him. Yeah, no, I'm excited to go through this. Um, obviously, I've, I've never had the opportunity to meet Peter in person, but... Learn through you, and obviously in the library here, we have a lot of material, a lot of books, tapes, um, cassette tapes to go through, which is great. Um, I just remember, yeah, the first time I showed up in Tampa when we first connected years and years and years ago, I mean, my you know longtime background with Vic, so the information was there, but I just remember there was just so much application going on that I was able to learn which was great. And that just comes from all these different pillars and obviously all the different coaches we continue to learn from, but you know, all the different art form really to do the application of oftentimes Braden information. With Vic, um, you've heard me say this. I know you've repeated it, which I appreciate. You know, Vic Braden is a Christmas tree, but the ornaments, Peter Burwash and Peter Burwash International. It would just be a very plain Christmas tree. I mean, it's it's amazing what you know, he did for the the curriculum that we put together, and it's it's really Peter and Peter Burwash International. Yeah. With uh, going to a conference, Peter 
always speaking at conferences. So that's the first time, you know, and many times sat in um, lectures, but 60, 90 minutes just doesn't get it. I respect uh, people who go to conferences. It's much better if you can go observe a coach. And even a week is a snapshot. Yeah. Uh, if people were to go a week and be able to circulate. But I started my journey in the mid 70s. Um, that's when I first heard Peter. He's 10 years older than I am. Um, I'm 66. He's 76, give or take. Um, he ran a camp for coaches where he grew up in Canada. Uh, it was actually um, in Perry Sound, Bobby Orr's hometown. Uh, camp Manitowabi, and there's also Manitou. There's a camp and a resort. We hope everybody knows who Bobby Orr is, but if you don't, try number to four, that. Bobby Orr. <laughs> um, I don't want to go off into much of a tangent and digress, but unbelievable hockey player. <laughs> so yeah, Perry Sound, Ontario, north of Toronto. With that, I never went, but I, I heard of Peter Burwash's camp for coaches. Mm-hmm. And it was commonplace back in those days to try to get the notes. I still have the notes. You know, I have uh, prepared 15 pages of notes just to talk about Peter and PBI. And that's without going through these uh, weekend workshops that we have on video. Yeah. Now we're uh, going to break this up. Just so you know, we're breaking this up into two parts. So tonight will be part one, next week, part two. So that means it'll only be 20 hours, 10 hours so, yeah, and 10, right? 10 10. <laughs> With... Uh, just through that course, I think Peter had a recognize his name was recognized within the tennis teaching industry. I would consider like our other mentors that Peter's a, a pioneer. Mm. He was one of the first um, to put courses and camps together for training tennis teachers. I think most people um, they just learned by playing the game and they learned from perhaps the coaches they worked with or the local coach serving apprenticeship right. I know that you know this because you're spending so much time in our library, but we, we have audio cassettes. Yeah. And we have so many of Peter Burwash. Yeah. I lived in Van for two years, the first year going to tournaments, but the second year I went all over the country, went from one resort to the next and had a nice sound system in the van, but really <laughs> didn't play a lot of music. I played voices of coaches. And <laughs> so it's fun uh, to have you going through those and saving those tapes. Did Remember, you, had a, you had a cassette player or was it an A-track? It was a cassette player. Yeah. And, you know, 1974, I remember Peter saying, I haven't said take your racket back since 1964. Mm-hmm. It used to just be take your racket back, take your racket back, racket back, racket back. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when people have a solo movement, they just take their arm back, the racket back, and then they turn, and then they end up having to swing three, four feet behind them. Yeah. In 1981, I had a chance to put this academic curriculum together, revised a general recreation program into mm-hmm. a comprehensive tennis program. And Peter Burwash, he called me. I think that really defines Peter. He's a go-getter. Um, he initiated, hey, I read what you're doing. I want to come up. And he did. He came up on his own nickel. Um, you know, it was, it was not about, you know, okay, how much money can I make? He just wanted to contribute. Mm-hmm. By that time, he had moved his operation from Honolulu PBI. Um, Peter Burwash International was based in Honolulu for years and years. But um, or I should say Hawaii. But then he went to Houston. Uh, Bernard Guzman came with him. Um, you know, Peter's people skills, his ambition, you know, the drive, his, his desire to make a difference. But it was in 1974 we set up his company, Peter Brosh International, better known PBI. 
Uh, it's still in operation. All our listeners need to do is go to www.peterburwashinternational.com. Mm-hmm. Still the largest company of tennis teaching pros in the world. Business card of his staff, you know, PBI tennis specialist. They're far, far more than just tennis teaching pros. Um, primarily work at five-star hotels all over the world. Um, obviously the numbers would change, but a safe guess years ago is that Peter would have 100, 100 tennis teaching professionals at 50 destinations around the world. Let me just really quick just ask you, when he came to Tyler, Texas, the first time to Tennis Tech, and that was the first program of its kind, what were his thoughts? Was he impressed with what you were doing or what was his kind of feedback? Like, wow, this is cool. Or No, I, yeah, for sure. Because um, it's in my notes that um, so few people had any formal training, mm-hmm. uh, clinical academic training for, for teaching. And, you know, his whole life has been dedicated to, well, to many, many causes, but one certainly is in uh, a key word for tennis for Peter is, is, is trying to make that was always trying to make tennis the tennis teaching side of it. We're called pros, but are we really professional? Professional, yeah. And he came back year after year, right? Well, we'll get into that. Oh. Uh, um, PBI and his, his pro staff came back. So, so for, for throughout the 1980s, um, and you know, the, the students I trained during that time, I'm sure they'll get a, a, a kick out of listening to this. Um, you better be listening. Better be listening. <laughs> uh, I was never on Peter's payroll. I never worked for Peter. I was honored to be offered a job at PBI without going through their extensive interview process. Uh, and you've already asked that, um, but it wasn't like they had just met me uh, at a coffee shop. I they I get to meet a lot of the key staff members for years. The interview process they used to run, and Peter, um, at one point, I'm sure it's even higher now, it, interview over 10,000 people. Hmm. And it wasn't interviewing people one-on-one. They would bring a group of people in. But it was over th- three days, about 15 hours. Wow. Um, and through that, um, you know, just my job when I started training tennis teachers was to find other people jobs. Hmm. So the interview, you know, Peter Brewash 101 is, I still say that to this day, life is an interview. Um, especially when you're a tennis teaching professional, it's almost like you're on call. You know, you, you go to the grocery store, you're just going to run into people. Yeah. You, know, you, you actually have a public position. Yeah. You're on stage a little bit. Yeah. Um, Peter, here's some statements. You know, tennis teachers used to dress like slobs. It's really, it's gone back down mm-hmm. with, keep in mind when I was training tennis teachers, they would be taking the PTR and the use PTA test and how, just how they presented themselves. Yeah. Another uh, Peter Burwash, tennis teachers are one step above a beach bum. <laughs> with yeah, you don't want to come, you don't want to show up like you're returning from a a five day fishing trip. So I, our work with PBA, PBI gave us a leg up on um, the interview process. Yeah. So he, after he came on the initial visit. Um, he would send a, a team of his coaches. It, our coaches were trained, our tennis teaching professionals. When you're on an interview, show up semi-casual. You know, so you're wearing a, a guy's going to be wearing khaki pants. Yeah. You know, the light, the light blue shirt. You know, you got the blazer. Yeah, um, blazer. You've got a tie, so you you you, you know you don't come in wearing a, a three-piece suit, but you show up with it. Your tennis outfit in a small bag. 
Then you bring a then you bring a small shoulder bag, two bags, shoulder bag for the tennis equipment, the gear to get on court, and then that shoulder bag where you you know you're going to pull out th- you know three copies of your resume and it just you're not going to um, just make all these mistakes. You know, a lot of times people that you know they're just knocking the door and can I have a job? Yeah, they don't even set up the interview. Uh, here, here are some things. Uh, you're riding to a restaurant. And generally, when you're being interviewed, it's just it's going to be a couple people in the car. So what you do is you follow the driver to the left side, and then you get in the back seat. And people go, "Why would you do that?" Because what happens is people are being polite and say, "Well, why don't you ride in the front seat?" Mm-hmm. So that so you just eliminate that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I always think of Tom Fi when it comes to interviews because. Tom and I worked on the Vic Braden staff. I mean, you know, he was a tennis director at Indian Wells. Yeah, so uh, another position he had, um, I can remember he had, he had a mustache for the longest time. And if you get in the final three, that's like you've won. Because if you get in the final three, then it's just a flip of a coin. And the best person doesn't always get hired. Mm-hmm. But if you get in the final three, you're doing quite well. So... I remember uh, Fi, he, he came, because he was really into pro shop management. He came to our campus to uh, he, you know, train the, the students how, how to run a pro shop. So one of these, you know, a weekend workshop back in the day, it was 25 hours, it was Friday night, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. It wasn't, it wasn't the week off. Mm-hmm. So I remember uh, Fi going, well, I think I got the job because I didn't get any, um, you know, French dressing on my mustache. <laughs> With, you know, is this, you know, that became part of the conversation. You're going out to drink. Now, with, um, Peter grew up in Canada, so you got a, he was a hockey player, so I'm sure he had a beer or two, but you got to the point where no alcohol. But we used to tell our students, your choice, but don't be the first person to order a drink. You know, not, not during lunch, you don't want to have a drink at lunch, but at the end of the day, and your choice. So you order last, but if only one person's ordered a beer, you know, the, you know iced tea, iced tea, I'll have, I'll have a beer. Is that, you just say to the person, well, I'll have a beer with you. Don't you want to drink alone? And people laugh a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can tell you some stories where we had some people that we trained that they had the job, they had the job pretty much secured until then they went out for some drinks and Uh-oh. it's like order, ordering two at a time. <laughs> um, here's something coming back to Vic. You know, uh, Vic used to tell me, Steve, my pros show up one minute before yeah. the program starts and they're just carrying your ra- carrying a racket. Your coaches, the people you've trained, you know, they show up, they've got a small shoulder bag, they're carrying a pl- clipboard, they got a pencil in hand, they come a half hour early and they're asking how they can help out. Yeah, like Vic's tennis college was... Uh... So easy, really. I mean, you you know, you had your court, you had a rotation, so it could be, it could be, yeah, not that really time demanding where you have to show up and really prepare. It's like, okay, where am I going? Oh, I'm teaching the volley day. Okay, I mean, I never did that, but I just, you know, I think if I, I, I think if Coach Verdict, uh, you know, or you, you got to have a clipboard when you're watching a tennis match, you got to put your brains down. But when our coaches would get a compliment like that from Vic Braden, I would say. That's our training from PBI, Peter Ruash, Peter Broderson International. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, you were going to be professional and you're going to go beyond the, the, the call of duty. And, and the, the interview process, 
I was always so impressed by the quality of the people that PBI selected. What about tucking in your shirt? Yes. <laughs> right? I, I don't think that happens. I mean, I'm- uh, You know, it used to be a, co- you know, it used to be a collared shirt, you know, then t-shirts became a little bit more like a tennis t-shirt. You know, yeah. you can't wear a t-shirt that says Budweiser, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, after Peter's initial visit, the three-day workshop, they cover topics from A to Z. And after the first few years, we were really allowed to submit to them what co- what topics we would like covered. Um, as the years progressed, you know, our, our expertise grew on the topic of on-court teaching and coaching. Although the PBI organization was just so creative, but for the most part, the, our training was um, had so much to do without not hitting a tennis ball. You know, being a tennis professional. Yeah. So here's just a few things I wrote down. Um, you know, like creating newsletters, bulletin boards, ladders, round robins, on-court theme clinics, socials with themes, mm-hmm. calendar of events, court maintenance, court construction, court lights, you know, budgets, uh, writing, speaking, you know, front desk management. Really just running everything to run a club really well. Club program. Yeah, as a tennis director, you know, How's it go? An assistant pro is, should be a head pro in waiting. You know, I had my lines where, well, you got an assistant pro haircut. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> you know, well, you know, you don't know if you should have got the earring. You got the, like it, the, the bun. You know, it was okay for yeah. John McEnroe, who was uh, endorsing the Bic razor, not shaving. You know, if you're a player, touring pro, you do whatever you want. Yeah. With, you know, Agassiz wore an earring for a long time. But I said, unfortunately, people are going to judge you. Yeah. And, you know, if you want to wear an earring, that's great. I mean, but if you want to be employed too, if they're going to, so you just come in very neutral. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dealing with obnoxious hotel guests. Um, <laughs> I think you'd love this because your background in acting is they put us through improv. Yeah. You know, helping people with stage fright. Yeah. You know, it's like plug in your personality. You know, I think people are, are one on either one side or the other where you have to pull them back like they're over the top and you mm-hmm. got to get them to tone down yeah. or the other way, um, you get them to speak up. I remember where Vic, you know, when they did questionnaires, brain typing questionnaires with teaching pros, it was like 85% were introverts. You know, I don't know if that, how accurate that was, but the majority, I think you're introverted and, and you'll have to learn to extrovert, but that's the kind of the industry norm, I think. Yeah. Just to say good morning, you got, you, the first thing you have to be able to do to be a tennis teaching professional is to be a greeter. Yeah. You have to say, hello, <laughs> good morning, how are you today? Yeah. But, you know, and people, uh, I, I'll, when I have, have a kid tell a clean joke, tell a story, sing a song, you know, that really comes from the training with PBI. It's how to get people out of their shell. Yeah. Um, but I think it's always important to reflect and, and, and give ideas, you give credit um, where all the ideas come from. Because yeah. teaching pros are constantly in front of people, constantly, all day long. I think like a lot of a lot of the pros that I've met that you've trained as well. I think sometimes they don't, you know, we we put Vic on such a high pedestal. We you know we talk about Vic all the time, Vic Braden. But I think a lot of times I get the feeling that they don't even know where a lot of the information comes from. Oh no, they don't. Yeah. They don't. Um, with. Um, you know, I mean, Craig Tiley from that tennis tech program, you know, he certainly is the best known student. Mm-hmm. Um, 
rightfully so, and he has such a high-profile position. But I was at the U.S. Open one year, and I think I mentioned that when we talked about Welby, is he went out and did body balance positions. And, um, you know, he was around for so long that he have a pretty good idea where the information came from. But if you didn't live it, yeah. I think that's the best thing about a book. Um, you know, we used Peter's written 19 books, I think. Oh, I, have, I have the notes. Um, <laughs> we used one of his books as a textbook, Tennis for Life. Mm-hmm. So uh, so with Peter, you know, he traveled. Uh, I talked to Julian Krinsky, who's in touch with uh, mm-hmm. Peter, that, He's not traveling like he used to, he used to travel 300, 300 days a year. That's a lot. I think it's so smart for a CEO to be part of the, the, the interview, interview session um, with, you know, just, you know, more things on that. Um, you know, passing the endurance test. Interviews like life, it presents a number of tests. Um, I still use some of the tricks. And, and people have heard this too. It's, you know, some of it is so, much, so original, but... You drop, I do this with junior tennis players. You drop a pencil. Yeah. And they, if they take three or steps, steps backwards, what they should do is, you know, it's not playing head games with them. Yeah. You, you find out their energy level. No, it might, they just may be shy. Yeah. But someone drops a pencil, you pick the pencil right, right you pick them, pick the pencil up right away. Yeah. With, you know, planning a piece of garbage. Keep in mind, like eight people are going to be interviewed at the same time. Yeah. And they all walk by the banana peel. Yeah. You know, you see the banana peel, you can say, excuse me, you're walking on the sidewalk, you're talking, someone's stopping. Yeah. I always tell a story. It's amazing how these, how I consider all, these, all eight of these pillars as pioneers. Um, one time it rained and I was on a Tyler Junior College campus and we had, at the point where we had over 100 students. So we had always had, uh, Jenkins 115 was always available. And so we got Dennis Vandermeer and he goes, oh, we're going to go up and we're going to talk about doubles now. And so we go up and all the students are ahead. Dennis and I are walking behind and his staff too are walking ahead. So we're walking and um, I stop and there's some McDonald's wrappers aside. Like, excuse me. And I just go over and pick them up. And mm-hmm. so Dennis went up to the, um, the, the, the lecture hall. And he, he didn't talk about doubles. He just started talking about work ethic. Yeah, Dennis, we'll talk about Dennis. Um, but Dennis and Peter are so much in common just with, uh, it's, it's really principle with, um, the work ethic. Um, you know, well, it's not my job. It's not my job to pick up the pencil. It's not my job to pick up the garbage. Um, with, you can kind of see pretty fast who's entitled or who's not. Yeah. You know, you don't want to judge people on something like that, but just, you know, you're just trying to read a person and, you know, that's to me, I could just go on over and over on interviews is I talked to so many club owners and said, well, really, do you just want to have them uh, fly to your place and you're going to talk to them? Why, why don't you fly here and, and meet them right here Yeah, and to, to make that happen? Yeah. Signs of being lazy, as you said, entitled. Um, but you, you, they were trying to find people who could go beyond the call of duty, exceed expectations. Mm-hmm. Random people come in and go, well, I work for Peter Brewash. I work on the other side of the world. I'll be working at a beautiful five-star resort. Um, he would do things like um, maybe it was just one letter that was written, handwritten in Portuguese, or maybe it was uh, eight people in eight different letters. And this was before the internet. Yeah. And, you know, people are, um, the class or the interview for the first day is over. And he goes, oh, and here's a, you know, say if you were being interviewed, here's a letter 
if you'd bring it back translated tomorrow. <laughs> and, you know, then you've got to think on your feet and go throughout the hotel and you know, you've got to find somebody who speaks Portuguese. Yeah. <laughs> you can't just go to Google Translate. Yeah. You know, uh, just a couple of years ago, I went to a shark tank, of course. Uh, of course, you know, not to an actual shark tank. Yeah, the course. <laughs> uh, of course, it's uh, well, owned, it owned, fun, though. owned and operated. Yeah. Um, and they gave us an assignment. Um, it was to see how much credit you could get. Of course, I was the oldest one. At my age, yeah. usually I'm the oldest person in a room. And so I definitely had to call, call, call. And so I, <laughs> I won a $50 gift certificate for uh, nice. to get the most credit because they were saying on some things you just, you don't want to borrow money. And it's like, well, you know, you don't want to go in debt either. <laughs> um, so you get people, you know, they're tired and it's like, okay, the end of the day. And it's like, well, if you do this tonight to see how they can react and, you know, they they're exhausted and can they go the extra yards and yeah, a little um, bit of a test go without sleep and food. Yep. Reminds me of, uh, Roberto Cala, who's not from Bolivia, he's from Peru. Peru. Yeah. We had a young guy working with us and, uh, he, he was really busy. And the young guy said, what about lunch? And Roberto just started laughing. Lunch, lunch. There are some days where you don't even <laughs> think about lunch. Yeah. Where do you think a lot of this, you know, from Peter's background comes from, you know, his, his upbringing? Well, we'll get into that. Um, yeah, you know, I think, you know, he was an ice hockey player and yeah. then he traveled all over the world. He did it on a shoestring. And you know, so for Peter to put together PBI, um, no, I think it comes from just how you're brought up. Yeah. I mean, I think, the, you know, he played high level hockey. and But I think that culture, right? I mean, hockey. With with some toughness and some grit, but I think also you know just seeing how it works. Um, you know, you're um, you know Peter by traveling the world, he saw first class service. I, you know, he yeah. put PBI together. I think he started when he was thirty years old. Um, so yeah, no, if I you're think, hanging out at five star resorts or hotels, you're going to see some good service. Yeah. Um, you can see a high level. But yeah, I just think the way someone someone's wired as far as principle, his energy level, um, you know, I think it's just all encompassing. Yeah, I've seen a few of his tapes where a great presenter. Thinking outside the box, um, you know, trying to always make things better. So mm -hmm. so he, he shows up at the campus and he challenges me. And Canadians are very polite, and Peter very graciously had me stand in front of the students and gave me a challenge and said, well, you're not gonna have much time to think about it. And he went, went through, you think on your feet and ended up not being much of a challenge. Um, it would have been better if it was something a little bit different because he said, Steve, um, you can just walk around the court one time or go in the corner for, for a minute and come back. Because what you have to do is you have to um, take some of the students off the bleachers and train them as ball boys. And it wasn't too many years before that, that I was working in Stowe, Vermont, and I was put in charge of training the ball boys. It's the most nervous I've ever been around. The, the Saturday, Sunday, the matches are on TV, and um, the ball boys were very young, and um, I was very nervous because it was like they could mess up. And, yeah. you know, that's digressing. That's one way to, to uh, there's teaching pros and there's touring pros. The touring pros, some of them are not too nice to the ball kids, you know, and that's not, that's not a good thing. Yeah. Um, this, I guess, I think we'll uh, come back to what you just asked. With training yeah. pros, 
Uh, Peter helped me so much. It was all about principles. It's just how he flies. Uh, life gives you the test first, lesson second. Um, his very experiences here, here too. Um, this is this comes from Peter Brewash. So it's, certainly, like I said, well, this was my idea, but really, I think that's a too egotistical statement. This is my idea. Uh, you know, we've all been in meetings where people say, "Hey, you got to make the person think it's their idea, or or, or it won't happen." <laughs> but the influence. So I had a lot of students who were a little cocky between the ages of 18 and 23. They thought they played and they thought they even taught at a much higher level than they actually did. Um, so the very first uh, couple days, we would film them hitting the tennis ball. So we recorded that. But we also had them go into a room. And again, this is PBI training. PBI influence, I guess I should say. So we put it in a hat. There's just eight pieces of paper, serve, forehand, backhand, forehand volley, backhand volley. Yeah. And then you have to stand up on a desk and then the camera's pointing at you. Yeah. And you say, you have three minutes just to explain. And say, for example, if it was the serve, I mean, you're just trying to capture humility. Yeah. Because people will come back and they'll act like the, you never taught them anything. Uh, that's one of the reasons to this day where we'll have an assessment. You know, yeah. you know, people aren't going to come back. Go, hey, you ruined my game. Yeah, I got it on film. With, uh, but, but the three minutes was a long, long time. Most of the students, uh, they couldn't go a minute. And if it was the serve, almost everything they said was wrong. But just to capture that, you know, check your ego at the door. Um, and I, I do think that comes back to ho- hockey as well as. Um, <clears throat> on the tennis side of it, you know, the, the coach is charging fees and, you know, young hockey coaches, old hockey coaches, when they first start out, they're volunteers. So um, anyway, just people, th- people, th- I think, jump into tennis teaching right away and they're being paid and they haven't paid their dues. Yeah. Um, but like on the serve, you hear down together, up together, toss high for more times. Same things you hear today, scratch your back, arch your back snap down, step for more power. No, I think I've, I've used this. I know when uh, we were directing some programs, we've used this as in the hiring process is someone comes in and you just go, okay, you know, teach me the forehand, teach me the backhand, teach me to serve just on the spot, you know, so they don't have a chance to go and try to prepare anything. It's like, Hey, let me just see what you got. So you see where they're at as far as their knowledge. And then also the presentation skills, you know? Oh, I've gone places where doing, um, workshop for a club and they've got say 10 pros ideally i like to have all 10 film before i get there and I make a video for them yeah then what you want to do to create teamwork everyone's going to have their own style but they have continuity consistency from one coach to the next mm-hmm. and say okay we're all going to make videos mm-hmm. don't tell me what you think tell me what you know yeah um here's another thing from peter's influence the tiebreaker test mm. the first job i had um I worked quite a bit as a volunteer, but the first job I had was at a camp, all American sports, and there was a six ball drill. And I felt like an auctioneer. I felt like someone who was announcing the horse race. A cross court forehand, and a cross court backhand, and a down line approach out, a cross court volley, a cross court <laughs> yeah. volley, and an overhead. Yeah. And I just stopped and thought, I was so young. I was just like, all I'm doing is announcing what shot they have to hit, <laughs> not telling them how to hit it. Yeah. But we put that to a test. So we have the. This comes from Peter Burwash is breaking the cord into four quadrants, numbering the quadrants and having them be targets. And he's so, he's so creative where we, we did that uh, 
with uh, you and uh, Matt Clore the other day where, you know, one player comes, like you come out and you sit on the tee, you're, you're sitting down, mm-hmm. just sitting on your family and I feed you a ball. Yeah. And we have kids, you know, you know, one kid in quadrant two, one, one quadrant two, three, four. So it's just the service boxes area behind. Yeah. That's PBI training. Sitting down, okay, you have to keep the racket head above your wrist. Yeah. You're making a game, it's fun. Then you're trying to teach little kids how to catch. Yeah. And they, for some reason, they like, kids love that drill. Yeah. They're just sitting there trying to catch. Yeah. But, you know, they, they, you as a uh, volleyer have to have that racket control. So that's yeah. something we'll get into the teaching, but Peter was huge on racket control. So you just take ideas, okay, this, the six ball drill that really didn't have any training to it, any educational merit, but then Peter with his quadrant training. So then I, I came up with the idea, but the influence, so we have the tiebreaker test. Mm-hmm. And most of the time in my career, I was, you know, um, listening to Vic. Traveled, did so many different things with him. But one of our students, Jeff Lewis, set it up where, um, you know, Vic and I were doing it together. I, you know, he, he would do a segment, I would do a segment. And I remember Vic just loving the tiebreaker test because some kid can come in. I was here in Kissimmee, right? Yeah, yeah, years years ago. He would come, it was great. I was living in Tampa, Vic would, uh, for about 10 years. Yeah. You know, he would come to Orlando at least uh, three, you know, sometimes four times a year. Yeah. Run a camp. So some kid can be ranked, you know, top 20 in their section and they're 07, 07. So it's not making, you got to just... Um, have a benchmark and i remember uh oh you do it with pros too i mean that's it helps just go yeah see you (laughs) yeah you still got a little work to do but a line from uh jack kramer you know the kids got no game so vic had a very difficult time he's such a nice guy he said um i wanted to let them know right away and vic really liked that but that would that wouldn't have been his personality he'd be in the back room going what game? That kid's going to be ha- happy to find the bathroom. If, yeah. You know, it's kind of like if he's in the rowboat in the middle of the ocean, he couldn't put the basketball in the ocean. Okay, this comes back to uh, Peter, two-sport athlete. Hockey was his first sport. Grew up in the Great White North. So that's where summer usually falls like one day in July. I mean, it's uh, short <laughs> summers. Uh, it was good enough to play at the University of Toronto when they were there. They won the Canadian Nationals. I mean, I never saw him play hockey, but he had to be a very, very hockey player to play at that level. 5'9", 150 is a good guess. A red left left wing. Um, you know, in, in tennis, he was called the flying Canadian. You know, he, he was diving on hard courts, so acrobatic before Becker was born. Becker came on the scene. Famous point at Wimbledon where Becker bounces twice. He, he yeah. excuse me, he jumps twice. Exactly. He, he's, he falls, but then it's a let court. And then he jumps a second time. You can find it on YouTube. It's yeah. amazing. So with Peter, I started age 12. Uh, you certainly could read a lot about Peter by um, reading his books. Uh, so he didn't play hockey year-round. Um, but hockey really makes somebody a well-rounded athlete. You know, they're going to have to, you got to deal with dexterity with your feet. You're on a pair of skates. You know, that's where somebody learns to ski or skate. Um, you think about all the people who've learned to ski, to snow ski, is Every pulse, every, you know, you can fall on your face every little millisecond you're yeah, out there. Yeah. So in hockey, you know, you get to the point where you're going 30, 30 miles, 35 miles per hour. It's not a contact sport, it's a collision sport. And what you're, what you're told the whole time from day one when you start playing hockey is keep your head up. Because if your head's down, you're going to get hit. 
Yeah. So um, he actually, penalty box was open and, um, you know, it, it was just a bad accident where Peter was checked and the, the door of the penalty box was open. He ended up being paralyzed, which was frightful, but it only ended up being like half a day. Wow. Where in the hospital, you know, um, he, you know, couldn't move his legs. Um, but he decided that it was such a violent game. And back then, there's only six uh, hockey teams, hmm. the original six in the NHL. So people were, were actually making a living. So okay. you know, he made the decision to try to become a pro tennis player versus um, a pro hockey player. He played from 1967 to 1974, won 19 titles, 1971. On the tour. On the tour. Yeah. 1971, he was the best player in Canada, ranked number one. He represented Canada in Davis Cup. There was no computer for singles ranking until 1973. There was no computer points or any ranking until 1978. In 1974, Peter was ranked uh, 240 on the ATP tour. Uh, but he played against so many great players. He had limited success as against great players. But you know how that works. You got to go through qualities. And, you know, he, I mean, he, you, you can, all you got to do is go to his Wikipedia page. He played against a lot of great tennis players. Um, but first and foremost, he was a hockey player. And you know, starting at that um, age and not playing full time, it's, you know, obviously it's amazing how well he did. Um, but um, as, a, as a player, played to 71 countries. Um, yeah, a lot. And, and you asked that many of, the, many of the tournaments back in those days were held at resorts. It wasn't like there was big stadiums yeah. and TV coverage. So I think it's a no-brainer that that experience. Um, yeah. And obviously, um, he liked it, uh, mm -hmm. loved traveling. Yeah. I think that Peter Burwash is, um, I think he would win this hands down. as the most well-traveled person. I think it's 137 countries he's been to. Mm -hmm. uh, I asked one of our students who you know quite well, Raven Claussen. Because Raven from South Africa has been to just about every African country. Mm. And he, a lot of people haven't uh, traveled throughout Africa. So I once asked him to count a few years back, and he wasn't close to the 174. Now, I know I've taught it in over... 137. 137, yeah. yeah thanks. Uh, I, I've you asked me to help you every once in a while. Every once in a while. Yeah, I need it. So I was just... Go for the 137, 174 is a senior moments. 137, it's like the speed of your serve. It's good. <laughs> With, yeah, I've, I've taught tennis over 30 countries, but in comparison to Peter, I feel like I never left home. <laughs> With, um, I think this is interesting. Peter is a was a player, but you know when he became a tennis manager, uh, owner operator, um, entrepreneur, whatever you would label CEO, um, he knew that being a player was just a bonus. Yeah. And um, so unlike most organizations, Peter didn't make the mistake of hiring people based on their playing background. I was talking to a guy today about that topic that he wants to get into coaching. And I said, well, just so you know what you're up against, you know, you got to you know, study content, get, get educated, but people are going to look at either who you've worked with or how you played, you know, what you were ranked. No, I tell you, um, so many influences from Peter and PBI. I went to great lengths 
I mean, to make a curriculum change, it, was, it used to be something like seven signatures and eight committees. If you wanted to change, you know, you know, business law to, you know, you know, you know, I whatever. Um, in academia, you're saying. In academia, yeah. so you wanted to drop business law and add another course that was similar. Yeah. Um, but I went to great lengths to have this academic program I was running become selective. Mm. We're only take 24 students and you had to be a, a 4.5 player. And, um, but I changed that. It was in, in, in Peter was an influence because, you know, he was hiring people that weren't great players. And, you know, Vic used to always say that, you know, um, yeah, for sure. Players have to be selfish and be wrapped up in your own game, but you, you want to get to the point where you're really wrapped up in someone else's game. Right. I remember uh, asking Fred Stolle one time, a friend of mine was working for Fred Stolle, and I got to spend a lot of time watching Fred work. And I said, Fred, it seems like all the time you play, every time you teach, you're hitting balls. <laughs> he goes, yeah, I'm working on my game, mate. I'm still playing. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. with um, what Peter would do, I mean, obviously through his interview process and being a great judge of character. I and mean, he says that you can play tennis with someone for five minutes and have a pretty good idea about their character. Mm. I've heard this said, I think it's so well put is that you could talk to somebody for an hour every day, or if you play tennis with them for an hour, you'll know more about them. If you play tennis with them for just one hour, than talk to them every day. Wasn't it, was it Steve Johnson senior that said tennis doesn't, you know, he said, it, it, Steve Johnson, it, it, uh, I love it. Steve Johnson senior. Character. Yeah, I was honored that he was studying or he was a fan of our, our curriculum because yeah. I, I, I was out at Indian Wells and he came right up to me and said, hey, can I sit with you today? I, I, okay, I mean, he didn't know much of an honor that was for me. But Steve Johnson, senior, tennis lets you know who you are. Yeah. Tennis lets you know who you are. It builds so, your character, yeah. You know, many times uh, the, the place makes the pro. You know, the, the pro doesn't make the place. Right. Let me say that right. The place, the place makes the pro. So it's a very fancy five-star hotel. And yeah. Okay, you got your name and lights. Yeah, exactly. But if you can have it be where the pro makes the place, you know, you're up, you're at a place where they have a few, few beat-up courts and you're making it work. Right. But what Peter did was he would uh, train the pro first and find the place second. He wasn't going to take on new opportunities until he had people trained to do that. Yeah. And, you know, he was, I'd say he was first in the placement of pros. Uh, but there, there's many companies that faded away because they went just the opposite of PBI. And I was in a position where I was training coaches. So I was dealing with these companies, these makeshift companies where, you know, they're, um, you know, certainly trying to take, you know, money off the top, take percentages. Say, okay, we're going to try to run all the, the country clubs in this one area. Yeah. All the Memorial Day to Labor Day tennis clubs. And they've got the jobs, but they don't have the pros. So actually, they've they've really sold a bill of goods. They can't they can't they've overpromised and they're going to underdeliver. But yeah. Burwash, I mean, he was not going to do that. Yeah. Um, Peter's statements: ninety five percent of teaching pros um, have never taken one course on how to teach. You know, so some of these things from our library are, are quite old, but uh, I think that still would stand. Yeah, that statement would still stand today. Evergreen. Uh, just because you can play, it doesn't mean you can teach. The training with Burwash, 450 hours of training. Most places don't have any training. 
if you say, okay, we hired you, <laughs> go to court 17, go to court yeah. seven, you're, you're teaching. Yeah. Um, approximately 150 hours of that were training people on, on the court. Uh, they went back in the day, had to uh, be able to uh, shoot photographs, but also develop the film. You wanted like in a dark room. In a dark room. Wow. You wanted students to be bilingual within two years, trilingual within five years. Um, you know, this was on an individual basis, but people had to come back for ninety hours of training. They had an annual, and I don't know if they still do, um, have an annual PBI convention. Um, that all the pros, so obviously it's a big undertaking because there's, they're working on every continent, yeah. all over the, all over the globe, yeah. and. Um, yeah, so they have, would have a convention um, with the pros who visit our campus, as I mentioned, truly outstanding. Bruce Hasse usually ran it. Um, others were, you know, Bernard Guzman, I mentioned, Dan Obershaw, John Murray, Chris Dyer, Joe Denoffer, Sandy Hastings. Um, I remember Dan telling me about one, annual, one convention where he had to, you know, study Vic Braid materials books and tapes. And then he had to debate that that's how much respect they had for Vic. They, um, he was going to debate the PBI pros. So, um, you remember I said, told Dan, I said, well, I'm sure you did a good job, but I think Vic would have done a little better job. I just looked back at that name, Joe Denoffer, isn't it? That the, uh, he runs on court off court, right? Yeah. Um, I'd say his, his daughter, Kalindi is, uh, you know, Joe's, uh, my age, Buffalo, New York guy. He spent years and years um, work, working for Peter, but his daughter Kalindi is uh, is is running. I mean, I'm sure he's still there. I've actually, you know, been in his office and spent time with him out in Dallas, where he's based. Um, most get-togethers with pros talk about a, a, a you know the PBI conventional. You know, we people used to tease, hey, what are you guys going to do, get together out in Hawaii and drink fermented pineapples? <laughs> uh, but the a lot of times at a, the pros get together and they're there for a tournament, they're there for the bar. Um, I think a lot of times um, it, it's, it sounds doom and gloom, but many times it's the same headliner. Yeah. It's the same content, same presentation with a different title. Yeah. Um, I mean, so many words to define Peter. I would say energy would be a good one. Uh, PBI is so creative. Doug Cash, who's a half a century in tennis, the tennis business, um, he'd be someone who'd be great to get on our podcast. Again, listeners, we got to get through this first year going through, uh, you know, the educational merit behind our curriculum. Uh, Doug has a great word for tennis pros, pizzazz. I mean, I think like Vic Braden, like Dennis Vandermeer, Peter, great pizzazz. pizzazz. But just, just you know, it wasn't false. I mean, he just um, passionate just, energy. The uh, what's the name of the the bunny? The battery, the ever ready battery. The Energizer bunny keeps going. Where you can hold an audience's attention. Right. Um, I'll put it up on Facebook. Uh, it's kind of buried on YouTube, but there's a 90 minute presentation of Peter Burwash on nutrition. You know, I think with nutrition, it'd be certainly great to listen to it um, in that regard, from that standpoint. But just to get a, uh, a feel for uh, Peter, 
he's a great, great speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, um, he, uh, didn't make money off his pros company. Didn't take a salary. Um, made money off his presentations, money off his books, his articles. Um, I mentioned uh, it's 19 books. Uh, we have several in our library. Only two are on tennis, um, tennis for life, um, tennis aerobics. Um, his last book, the title is Dear Teenager, If You Only Knew. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, but it's, it's pretty heavy though, with a lot of issues, but about teenage suicide. Mm. Um, another one, uh, who cares? It's kind of a wake up call for service and leadership. I think if Peter would write another book, if he wants to make it an even 20, he's got a great line. What the public buys. Mm. Just think about what the public buys. And I'm always telling people that most consumers in tennis, they don't have consumer knowledge. Right. Most tennis coaches, unfortunately, they don't have product knowledge but they know what they're selling. I think that, you know, Peter has a great BS detector. Um, you know, with... Um, Bull stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I do think with with anybody we talk to, you know, I think that's where we certainly can come across is, you know, like people don't understand whether it's, you know, tennis tech, tennis technical snobs, it, to me, if if people don't have a brain background, they're missing the details. Um, the only people that I've ever met in all my travels in tennis that truly know, like for example, how the the loop is formulated on the serve, they have a Braden background. They either directly, indirectly were influenced by someone who worked with Braden. Yeah. Um, perhaps the best book uh, for the tennis teachers is just leadership. But his book, tennis, uh, his main tennis book, Tennis for Life, came out in 1981. We use it as a textbook. Um, here's a short list of the key, the key points. Uh, one is um, unstuck. And Peter really taught with all these concepts. Um, you know, I think coming back to Braden, it was just more like here are all these facts. Mm. But tennis teaching is both an art and a science. You know, so Peter... Uh, we talk about application. You try to get people unstuck. You're saying, yeah. There, there's knowledge, and then there's applied knowledge, information, applied information. But it's um, it's really the personality of the pro. It comes back to that pizzazz. That you know, how do you how do you relate? How do you, he's a master communicator. Um, but you know, people get stuck in the mud. It's yeah. like they've they've been at the same level for so long. Rio for 15 years. But even like say a junior tennis player, I mean, they're in the million time club. You keep telling them the same thing. I heard a parent say the other day, and I think this is great. So I hear something, I just try to lock it in. And, um, you know, I've heard people say this, but the way he said it, you know, he said, well, winning's a drug. Hmm. And people want to reinforce winning. So they keep doing the wrong thing. And it really applies. Yeah. Um, you know, his daughter has got to reinvent her game because very athletic, hardworking, but um, just 11 years old. But, you know, she worked with one of our coaches for just, just a month and a half. What we would say technically is the game was a train wreck. Yeah. You know, it, but, um, I had this conversation today as well. Um, you know, the WTA versus the ATP forehand, which not fans of, but, you know, why, why do all these girls or women have these longer backswings and you know there's not as many as people think but 
It just goes back to they have a long backswing because they have a long backswing. You know, they've been doing it since they were really young and they're programmed. You know, they try to hit the ball too hard, most likely, with, you know, full Western grips. But, you know, if you don't get out of it when you're young, you're programmed. You know, you have a motor program for that and it's going to be stuck. And, you know, I'll see people online through social media and, you know, you can see they're, they're on their way. They're, they're hitting the ball pretty well, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. But you just see these backswings that are really big and you just go... I guarantee you're not going to grow out of it, which a lot of people think they will. It's like you're going to have that when you're 18, 19. Yeah, it's like like Sloane Stevens, what a great athlete, U.S. Open champion. I mean, be able to tell our grandchildren, wow, you know, when one of the biggest tournaments in the world and one of the biggest courts in the world, her backswing goes way behind her. But, you know, she's still young. Hopefully she wins more, but um, maybe she'd have more at this point. No. Yeah, I made the point too. More, more, more major titles. You know, like a Novak Djokovic, he was up to number three in the world with a very inefficient swing on a serve and, and forehand. He had problems and, on his forehand. Yeah, and, and made changes. So, you know, why do people have technical flaws? Well, they've been doing it for a long time since they're kids, and no one got them out of it. Well, in this age of political correctness, I mean, it was so, so, so unfair for women for so long, but. It, I think women should be offended by saying, well, that's a WTA forehand versus an ATP forehand. You're basically saying you're hitting the ball like a girl. And and I don't, I don't understand these courses. The the ball doesn't know. Capitalism's not perfect. And I think, you know, anything to sell tennis is why are we having these courses on how to teach women when it comes down to the ball doesn't know whether it's being hit by a male or a female. Yeah. Maybe that just from a mental, emotional aspect, but. Well, but even too, as far as, you know, you know, coming back to PBI training, definitely there's a place for it, but I don't think with ball striking, when it comes down to no, not at all. Um, the interview process and how unfair that can be. Um, I remember um, it was Jennifer Roberts, who's now Jennifer Morgan. Um, mm-hmm. She was working around the clock and she was deserving. She has been the assistant coach at Kansas and uh, Tyler Junior College that had a uh, very impressive junior college tennis team. You know, they needed to have a coach, and I recommended her, but there was no time, no way at that time that they were going to hire a female. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's changed. I think I was in Tennessee with Austin Krychek, and um, Pat Summit wasn't very healthy at the time, but I asked these people that were helping us so much and nice family, and I said, do you know Pat Summit? Well, we're really good friends with Pat Summit. So the, the next day, uh, um you know, the, the evening I spent with a tennis team and then afterwards with the, the, the coach at Tennessee. Pat Summit, she was offered the job to be the the men's coach. I mean, that's the way it should be. It, 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 that, it shouldn't matter. Yeah. Um, but coming back to his book, just some of the key things, unstuck, um, awarenesses, you know, self-awareness, court awareness, ball awareness, racket awareness, aware, aware of the elements. So I always tell kids when they... Around the world, people are playing, move up, move down. Junior tennis players never, never, it's a strong word, they never ask when you move up or move down, how do you determine who takes which side? You know, the wind can be blowing, obviously the sun could be in there, it could be on the wrong side. Yeah. Even though courts run north and south, they could have the bad, bad side with the sun. A senior player plays that and they go, they ask right away. (laughs) <laughs> well, how do you determine what, what, what's, what's, yeah, just spin the racket. Um, you know, you aware, aware of the score, um, common sense, you know, 
I think one thing that Peter did so well is um, opposite hand. You know, we were always telling people, hang on to the throat of the racket, say with your righty with your left hand, fingertips, put the left index finger in the racket face. So the just non-dominant hand. Non-dominant yeah. hand. And um, you, it's obviously a detail. It's not, you know, it's not going to make or break someone's, uh, say, backhand volley or their overhead. But sensory perception, when you're looking forward, you have a better idea of where that racket is. Yeah. You know, again, moving the racket. Um, yeah, when the racket gets beyond your peripheral vision, Vic used to talk about this a lot. You, you you lose kinesthesis or feel, so you can kind of have an idea of where you are, where it is in space. Uh, checkpoints for each stroke. Uh, His book uh, Tennis for Life. Um, you know, you think about this. You know, so the book was written in '81. Um, I was at a, a, I was in a coaching class um, not too long ago, and um, the one of the leaders of the course was going to show something that was on YouTube. And what popped up was it was Dennis Vandermeer. It could have been Peter Burwash. It was an old tape and it wasn't the seventies. And um, so the leader of the course just looked at the screen and said, Oh, that's so seventies. And I didn't know exactly what he meant. Maybe it was the, the rackets or the, the short shorts. Yeah. Um, but um no, I think uh, large tennis organizations, large tennis clubs, multiple pros um, really could turn the clock back. Um, Dave Anderson, who we interviewed, he said that great theme for tennis would be uh, back to the future. Yeah. And the, the professional training that, uh, you know, Burwash helped us with. So some of the words, they, you know, they surface with, um, so balance, Welby Van Horn balance, um, with pre-strategy, game strategy, post-strategy. Um, Peter really gets into teaching athleticism with all these creative drills based on triple vision, but, you know, the ball, the racket, your opponent, there's many things you have to do. Um, with, uh, covers fitness, covers nutrition. Um, one story with Peter on nutrition, this sums up Peter Burwash as well. So his company's based in Hawaii. He's on the beach. He's throwing a Frisbee. Frisbee, um, by chance, hits someone who's sitting down. He approaches a gentleman to apologize, but he can't just apologize. He talks to him. And the gentleman uh, was in Hawaii to conduct a program on nutrition. Mm -hmm. So Peter goes to that. And um, I, I think it's maybe 50-50 all the, time, the times that he's spoken. Um you know, I think of tennis, certainly you talked about service and management, but uh, I would think that he talked more as much about wellness and health as he has his forehands and backhands. On teaching, um, you could tell me where we can stop here on uh, part one, part two. But yeah, I think we're... We're okay right now to go a little bit longer? We're pretty close. Pretty close? Yeah. On teaching, long list of positives. Yeah, I, I would say just like with the Spanish system... Um, and I don't, I don't want to sound like a cheerleader, cheerleader. If there was a, a one negative, it would just be that, you know, the PBI guys, um, just like the Spanish training I've been through three times, um, be a little more, a little more scientific, not, not a, not a, again, with PhD, a lot of, a lot of PhDs that stands for piled higher and deeper. I know I respect someone who goes through all the, all the hurdles to 
be honored with a PhD, but many times uh, people are in the wrong lane and they just really haven't logged, they haven't logged any hours in the trenches. Um, so um, a little bit on teaching. Um, first time hosting Peter, he asked who had a shaky forehand. And I put my hand up, so did several of my students. Mm-hmm. I was selected first and Peter proceeded to give me a lesson. Like almost everybody at, t- at that time, um, I had been told that tennis was a one grip game. Mm-hmm. So I had a continental grip on the forehand. I it nudged it over a little bit, but I just hadn't got it where it should be. Yeah. I was, you know, pu- pushing the palm down. That was what someone like Vic would say, you know, I'll never forget first time I went to a Braden course, gentleman was there and he had a continental grip on the forehand. Mm-hmm. And six months later, I, this, I, I found a way back there six months later, the same guy was there mm-hmm. and he jumped on the court and, and you know, he wanted help with his forehand, real extroverted guy. And, and Vic didn't say anything about the grip. And I raised, raised my hand and said, uh, why, are you, why aren't you telling him to change his grip? And Vic said, I'm not a toad. He was here six months ago. He didn't change his grip. Yeah. Now he's back. Now I'm giving him plan B. Yeah. yeah, I told him. He didn't do it. And um, Let's try something else. Yeah. So I was a toad, too. I I didn't go cold turkey. So Peter's giving me a lesson, and uh, it wasn't a semi-Western, but just told me to get my hand on the bottom of the third panel. And I would just um, think about, you know, being with Welby Van Horn in his uh, – not a nursing home, extended care. Lived, he lived to be 94 years old. So I'm with him and he's in his 90s and we're watching Roger Federer play. And the Welby Van Horn system, uh, certainly one flaw was he called the, the grip for children, the Eastern grip, the beginner grip. And then they got older, he called it the championship grip. But at that time, uh, kids were playing with a wooden racket, playing on bad grass and yeah. three out of the four majors. Yeah, exactly. Um, with, um, but just like a million other people is that uh, had the wrong grip on the forehand side. Peter on teaching, we don't teach form, we teach understanding. I tell my students nicely, I would say, you just need to shut up and listen. This guy has so much experience. I've been, you know, certainly later is organization, but have respect, show respect, be open to learning because the overall approach is teaching people to understand form. So. It can be a plan words. Peter was, um, um, we don't teach form, we teach understanding. And then we said, well, what we do is we teach people to understand form. Mm-hmm. Um, we, uh, from a teaching standpoint, I mean, he did spend some time with uh, coaching Serene and Venus. He worked with a Canadian who, he left Canada and represented England, Greg Rosetsky. Yeah, Andrew Schneider. He was actually coaching Sebastian LaRue where, with Daniel Mestre, he won the 2000. Olympics. Um, our teaching curriculum is filled with content and concepts from PBI. Yeah. Defensive, neutral, offensive, good volume position, ideal volume position, left-hand awareness. Um, the, um, you know, we went through that the, um, from his book, but then there's all sorts of ways that, you know, you, you try to work with people with self-awareness, court awareness, the elements. And then the, the triple vision, the position of the opponent, the ball, your racket. Can you go through triple vision a little bit? 
um, you know, there's a, there's a chapter in his book. Um, you know, when I think of uh, Peter Burwash, like say a half volley drill, this is not necessarily triple vision, but, you know, he'll make people where they don't have visual acuity. They have to run around the cone so they can't see the ball coming to them. Yeah. And before they, right before they turn, they feed the ball. Yeah. Feeds the ball. Um, We've got that drill up online. With, find it. Um, you know, having people turn around and, you know, then you just toss two balls and they have to catch the ball right-handed, left-handed. And then they're going to turn around and then you're going to throw the two balls and then they have to switch their hands. Um, so, you know, the triple vision really comes from um, the emphasis that tennis is not simple and you have to really deal with, you know, the ball, the racket, and your opponent. Um, with He started teaching as a teenager, coach Pee Wee football, as a volunteer. So he started early on and being a great communicator. I was living in Canada with two boys who were playing ice hockey. I made arrangements to be based in Toronto because of that. But I listened to Peter many times. I'd be at some hockey rink watching a tennis game, tennis match, CBC, TSN. Uh, so um, as a commentator, I'm very critical of commentators, paraphrasing uh, Peter, one can only exploit a weakness if they have the, the skills to do so. Um, you know, I'm baffled by the lack of options. You know, they're, they're just, all people could do is bang a forehand. Yeah. Does anybody think outside of the box anymore? Um, you know, it's, uh, it's the way tennis is being played. Uh, I mean, I think there's reasons for that because people start winning at an early age, going back to what the parent was telling me. Yeah, tennis is a drug, and this is how they won when they were nine. So that's how they played when they were ten, and um, they only go to the net to uh, pick up balls and shake hands. Um, on teaching, a high percentage of people uh, I've trained are not really open to listen to others, and I think that's really wrong. Um, learning new ways to teach tennis is work his work. And, you know, some people, you know, Burwash will say, okay, some people have 30 years experience, but they've only taught one, one way. They're not looking to, to change what they do. So they, they really, it's not, do they really have 30 years experience or do they have one year experience 30 times? Right. Um, you know, for example, uh, even to this day, I think that, you know, with Braden, we tell our students, you know, we don't we want people to have hero worship for, okay, well, Vic was, um, the only person to li listen to because when, when people that I trained would not be open to listening to others, I would say that that means you really didn't get Vic Braden because, you know, Vic was constantly looking to change yeah, sure. in, in, in how he taught. I have a film of Vic teaching in the sixties, uh, Tracy Austin. I mean, she did so well. And I mean, Vic had a big influence on Tracy her family her father, her mother ran the pro shop at the Jack Ramer tennis club. I remember Vic would always say when I was teaching Tracy, I didn't really understand how the serve worked. So, you know, no ego really. Yeah. But I think Peter is an artist, the, the um, top shelf communicator. On systems, systems, uh, an organized plan, not just a word. Uh, experienced features like, like Peter, they're just not one dimensional. Um, to have the same approach, uh, you can't have the same approach for every lesson, every individual. Um, 
and that, that came back to the PBI training with certainly many of my students um, say, okay, give a lesson and you can only, use, only speak one word. Give a lesson, you can't talk. Mm. You know, from Peter Burwash, um, it's, it's so creative. Uh, we would critique Vic Braden, for example, with no sound. Watch his tapes, no yeah. sound. And it was very easy to do years ago with the TV. There was just one dial where you could darken the photos. So there's no, there's no picture. Yeah. So that, then all you're doing is hearing the sound. And um, with Vic, Vic was such a positive guy, but he says the word no all the time. You know, and Vic would be at a, t- at a conference, he'd get somebody to hit the ball better, and he would say, yes, but that's not it. Yeah. No, that's called your waste. Or <laughs> Yes. Pet the chihuahua. No, you were just petting the, yeah. the great Dane. Um, with um, design lessons for the player's needs, ask questions. You know, this is a rookie teaching tennis. So you start teaching someone a lesson, and they're playing a match the next day. Um you know, asking people how much they can practice um, with uh, the difference between over-teaching and under-teaching, PBI training. Um, and again, we have so much of this on video as well. As um, So we, we would take the videos, you know, the people who ran those programs, um, and we'd make assignments out of it. And, you know, I mean, kids had the option to, I shouldn't say kids, students would be able to... Um, we had a, a room set up where they could go just watch segments of the of the workshop. Um, have lesson plans. If you've been teaching tennis 10 years, you don't need to have a lesson plan. You get to the point where you, you already have a built-in guideline. Yeah. Um, you know, so many people, Burwash would uh, beat up on people for saying, are you really going to start every lesson the same way? Mm-hmm. Are you really going to have people go forehands across the baseline? You know, Vic used to say the same thing. It was, it's amazing how many similarities from uh, one person to the next. Mm-hmm. On teaching um, doubles, okay, play play doubles with no alleys. So then it's going to be more play to the middle. Yeah. Uh, four players, we do this all the time, four players playing doubles in one service box. There's many tennis doubles, but they're all in one service box. Mm. So um, rackets are clashing. They're going for balls in the middle. Right. Um, I mean, even break it down where people are trying to volley in the alley, two, mm-hmm. you know, two on each side. It's yeah, um, a great drill. With, uh, I'd say, all of our mentors, because of how tennis boomed in the 70s and 80s, dealing with group dynamics. Um, Peter with uh, you know, having people um, serve, come in, and then double, double volley. So you're serving, you come in, split step. That, you know, you're going to keep that racket head above your wrist. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to be able to do a double volley if you drop the racket head above your wrist. Right. Teaching uh, kids under three, taught to deaf, semi-blind, the blind, um, his favorite challenge. Um, got so much uh, altruism, uh, so altruistic to uh, teach prisoners. I saw, I experienced uh, blind tennis in Europe. I was traveling... Uh, with uh, Max Cressy and Jamie Saratani, and we all tried it. It was in Germany, and these guys had these masks, you know, where you could, you'd have like 10% vision or whatever, right? You, and you had it, it was purely by sound. And there were some guys that were really good at it. And it, we tried it, and it was tough. I mean, it was unbelievable what they could do. 
and it's you know I don't know how much it's growing, but it's a sport. I mean, they're they're doing some blind tennis. Maybe. Yeah, I think uh, coming back to altruism, uh, where give to others, and um, I do think a lot of um, you know, say a celebrity coach, uh, a highly recognized coach, high profile, is they end up just coaching players. Even at, you know, a, a club, the, granted, the director wears many hats. They got many things to think about. A lot of times what a tennis director will do, they've been hired because they hit the ball well, and they hit with the kids who already hit the ball well, and they farm out the work. Mm-hmm. And they don't really know how tennis is even being taught, you know, on the court next to them, seriously. Um, and um, yeah, there's but, not always that continuity. Right. So to, to go in and be so excited about, you know, helping a, a prisoner. Um, and there, you know, Peter shares a lot of stories about um, the, um, the impact tennis had and helping people get their life together. Um, big on racket hit skills, creative, you know, do this, do that, tap up, tap down. And, you know, I do think a lot of people, um, you know, Vic used to say, uh, why don't you show them how to hit it? You know, yeah. you get little kids out there and say, okay, bounce the ball down, bounce the ball up. But Peter would be so creative with that. You know, you think, okay, roll the ball around the frame. But, you know, a typical bird watch, and I know you've seen me do all sorts of things like this, where, okay, get the kids work with them, they all show up with several rackets, get two rackets. Mm-hmm. And you get one in your right hand, you one in your left hand, and you're jogging around the courts, you know, with a tennis ball going from one racket face to the next. Right. And then, you know, maybe you don't have a soccer ball, but they take a soccer, they take a tennis ball as a soccer ball. So they got, now they got a racket in their right hand, racket in their left hand, and they're trying to um, have the ball go back and forth with one racket to the next, plus dribble the soccer ball, not just kick it 20 feet ahead. Yeah, right. Um, but all sorts of creative training like that. I mean, catch a Frisbee behind your back. You know, we try to tell kids, can you, can you run and catch a football? Yeah. Um, it's becoming an overall athlete, like you said. Yeah, and it makes it fun. Yeah. makes yep. it fun with teaching our mini tennis five. So Peter did all sorts of double hits um, in all his drills, mm-hmm. you know, stop it like a volley. Now the ball's falling. Then you have time to let the racket go underneath. Right. But Peter would teach the serve, you know, the you know, club players and, you know, young kids do the same thing. Really young kids, you know, they just put their hands up this way and over their head. Um, but he had, he'd have people f- turn their back to the net and say, now serve. Yeah. And what a great way not to have someone be palm up. Exactly. You don't um, have a continental grip to do it. And we tell people, and this comes from Burwash, you don't want to you know, run backwards and have no idea how to play the ball. So yeah. uh, one theme of Peter's was emergency shots. Is then from that, you know, I hear people say, well, the continental family, all these shots are continental. And that's not really true. You know, top players don't say what they do or do what they say. It's kind of like an unwritten <laughs> law, oh no, everybody volleys continental. Yeah. And, and they don't, you know, they're almost continental. Even Jose Garris, who's in charge of the USTA, he would say on the forehand volley, it's almost continental. Oh, yeah. But the, anytime the ball is behind you. So, um, you know, we, we teach people to do that off the backboard. We have a shadow swing routine that people do. Mm-hmm. And we have different names for 15 different emergency shots. So, and it goes back to, uh, you know, Jimmy Connors, you know, the, Bud Collins would give the, the late Bud Collins um, would give a lot of these special shots a name. 
also with Connors, the Bellville, the Bellevue, where he's from, Bellevue, Illinois, Backfire, or the 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 no, excuse me, the the Skyhook, the Bell, the Belleville Skyhooker, the Bucharest Backfire with Nastasi. We'll put up a video one of these days on that. Yeah, Um, but the uh, the traveling show, maybe we could just talk about that and call it. Yeah. Have you ever seen the traveling show? I think I've seen some film, but not in person. Actually, I feel like I saw some. Actually, I did. In Indian Wells, one year I saw some of the traveling show. Yeah, the tennis world I one time was in New York, and the traveling show was at the old Roosevelt. Um, so it's a great performance. It's like the Harlem Globetrotters of tennis. Mm-hmm. And Charlie Passerell spoke afterwards, and Charlie was you know, taught by Welby Van Horn. And Charlie said, well, I didn't bring any dancing bears. So, <laughs> but in, oh, the only reason I mentioned that, that's a tough act to follow. Yeah. The traveling show. Um, you know, then to ask the coaches, well, could you juggle? Could you do all these different things? Um, but what we've done with, so for the listeners, the, the, the traveling show come out and really impress people with racket, racket skills, mm-hmm. tricks they can do with the ball. You know, I mean, it's not just hitting the ball between your legs, but yeah. Um, so we take parts of that traveling show and incorporate it into double. So you can put, you know, so when people see me do this, you know, I, I, I'm all the time going, all right, let's do a brew wash drill with, um, you get four players playing doubles, but you put them all on the service line and then you feed from off to the side. And you show them the directionals they have to, to hit. So one, you know, they know where to go. So one's going cross court, one goes down the line, back cross court. So they're hitting all four players. Um, the balls hit to them consecutively. Yeah. So then you put two balls in play and then three balls in play. And, you know, you get some players, it just really helps with, I mean, everybody's moving their feet. Yeah, quick turns. The focus, the right it, you don't have to tell people, don't swing on your volleys. Yeah, exactly. And it is... Yeah, so that, again, I've probably said that word ten times. I should say it ten more. It's just just being creative. Yeah, um, fun too. But um, no, I think we can get more into uh, uh, you know Peter and um, you know, PBIs. But when someone watches, you know what we do, and I think you know we had someone recently spent a month here and um, said, you know. It's just not the same. We're trying to get as much content out as possible online. Um, but, you know, to actually see things be done. And so where, where do these ideas come from? Yeah. And, you know, say, for example, um, I have people sit on the court. Um, you know, Peter was always like, why, why the, the tennis coach, you know, many times just stands right in the middle. They're giving a lesson to somebody who doesn't have much skill. And then they hit this coach with a ball. And then go, oh, it's all right. It's no problem, you know. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, the person on the other side, you know, they they feel bad. They just hit the coach. And, mm-hmm. you know, but Peter said, well, you know, it's really kind of dumb. You know, you're trying to teach people to stay, hit up the middle and you're feeding, for, standing in the middle. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, again, burr wash drills, you know, to have somebody sit on the court, backhand volley, put the racket above the wrist. Mm-hmm. And say, okay, now they can't drop the racket at the wrist. Yeah. And then say, well, we don't want you to have your back all the way down. Don't let your spine touch the court. But now do a half sit up. Mm-hmm. And you feed them a backhand volley and the racket's up. 
and they go back and forth. And yeah. um, so I, I do drills on a, on a everyday basis. Um, you know, so someone like um, Don Leary who wrote the book, uh, The Teaching Pro, The Word Picture Method. Yeah. So it's really just a system of systems. You know, Leary's not identified as uh, one of our pillars. In our course, Tenets Intelligence Applied, um, we um, mentioned 100 pros. I mean, I, I tell people, I'd say weekly, um, people come in for an assessment, I tell them they need to go to Encore to Offcourt. You know, one-stop shop, and you can buy all these teaching aids. Sure. And, um, you know, Joe Denoffer's, you know, put together a, a great company but he spent so many years with Burwash. And I, I think so much of that creativity yeah. for teaching aids comes from not, not just Peter, but Peter, you know, also, you know, having uh, the process where he, um, how he would select people to work. And, you know, he was going to select the people that, again, it was, um, how's it go? Um, it's not about you, you know, even when people are out there and working on their own game, it's not about you, you know? Yeah. With, um, yeah. So no, hopefully that, I mean, great first part, first episode on Peter, we've got another five or six pages or so of notes so we can continue, continue the conversation. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's like with, uh, most recently we spoke about Jim Lair with, um, and it was in the eighties, you know, granted, Jim has gone on and done so many more things and written so many more books. And so is, so is, uh, Peter, but we immersed ourselves into, you know, what both of them brought to tennis. Yeah. And, you know, I think federations around the world, um, and, and again, I'm critical. I don't really see it. I, I mean, it's unfortunate, but I don't see the leadership they say here in the U S you know, who's going to take the place of, uh, the think tank, um, the brain drain, uh, but it's but I think the the um, the answer is in the question. You don't. No one needs to come and you know reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the problems is the ego and greed. Uh, you know, with you think you there's know, ego and greed in America? Or well, in, 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 in tennis teaching, I can't. I'm you know, three hundred thirty million people. I think there's everything in America. But when it comes down to the tennis teaching industry. Um, you know, I'd like to think that, you know, five, 10% of what we do is original. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, John Verdi, a great pro, is calls research steel, baby steel. Mm-hmm. You know, here's a great idea and don't pretend it's your own. Yeah. Make it a story. If you learn something, just like the parent, the way he said to me, you know, tennis is a, is a winning is a drug and people keep reinforcing, they want the drug, so they keep reinforcing how to win the wrong way. Yeah. But um, if you make it a story where you learn something, and, you know, who taught you that, you know, where were you, when, mm-hmm. how, um, then you're gonna have a much better chance of owning it. Yeah. But if you're pretending it's yours, uh, and that's- I see it every day online. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I, I think for what you're doing online, I think it'd be great to have, uh, we can reconnect with Peter. Uh, with, um, I know that Peter, it's been some time, but I've written all sorts of articles and, uh, you know, he, he used to get every magazine, every newspaper. Mm-hmm. And you know, I remember, you know, he'd read an article that I've written and he'd call me up and um, with, uh, 
But yeah, let's continue more about Peter Burwash. I hope our, our listeners uh, are getting something out of this. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so it's where the ideas come from. And, uh, but um, I think too, we can circle back and talk more about, um, you know, just the professionalism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's where like today, and it's, it's really unfortunate, but yeah, some young people, they don't know what a, a letterhead is. You know, and they just, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll send you a text. Thank you. Instead of having a thank you card, putting it in the mail. And, but, um, I would bet that the, the Burwash pros are still old still school and that's still old school that way. Yeah. It's more of a novelty these days. Yeah. I mean, that, um, and those are the things where, um, you know, even if it's just, just having, you're at a tournament with a group of young kids and have them before you drive off, go to the front desk and thank the people for working the tournament. Yeah. Thank, thank the umpires. Yeah. With, um, we used to have kids write the tournament director. And, you know, I think a lot of those, those principles um, have gone away, but we'll get into the, Bye-bye. more on yeah. the standards and the values, but um yeah, thank you, Peter Burwash and Peter Burwash International. No, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Again, uh, hopefully you're enjoying these episodes. If you get a chance, go on to iTunes and leave us a review and a rating. That'd be nice. And you can find us online at Great Base Tennis on social media. Yada, yada, yada. We're on there. All right, everybody. We'll continue the discussion next week. Thanks for listening. Number Until 32. Next time. And next time's number 33. Yep. Till next time. Adios. Thank you. Amigos.